Welcome to the New Song Church Sermon Podcast. Here at New Song, we want to help people get to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions about us or want to learn more, you can check us out online at www.new-song-church.com. We'd love for you to stay connected with us throughout the week through our church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Just search keyword New Song. And now, check out our message of the week. That being said, if you're ready to study the Word of God, say amen. 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 Let's do it. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 is where we're going to start in this third part of this series in Colossians. And and, uh, again, you're going to be encouraged in the Lord today. I know that. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Meaning when you see Jesus, you also see God. As Jesus is and was God. He is God. He was God. And so when you looked at Jesus, you also were looking at your heavenly Father. And in Christ, verse 10, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Remember, we said last week that Christ completes us. He completes us. He is the head over every power and authority, over every power and authority. Now, we're going to come to that in a second. I want to pause right there as I just kind of teach you this um, because later in, in Colossians, I believe it's chapter, or verse 15 of chapter 2, we'll, really, we'll, we'll uh, read again about powers and authorities. Powers and authorities. Powers and authorities. And you say, who was that? Who were the powers and authorities? Um, I, I read multiple commenta- commentators about this. Theologians um, uh, just listened to, to other guys teach about that particular verse and to tell you the truth, uh, there, there wasn't, it wasn't just a hard and fast, well, here's who it is. But, but we do know, um, I'll say, it, sometimes it's hard to say, well, it's limited to this and this. It, it actually probably was any, any power, uh, whether spiritual or physical, that is not embraced or does not teach um, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that only comes through him. So definitely demonic forces, definitely that. Remember Colossians, in, in Colossians he's actually coming against fine sounding arguments. Remember we talked about that late, last week and, and, and things that sound, arguments that sound good but they're really deceptive and they were teaching about the power of angels and things like that. So no doubt he, he was saying, hey, there's not an angel in the world that has the power that the Lord Jesus has, but also authority. So there could be, he could be talking about the church, of, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the Roman Empire. He could be talking about um, other uh, armies, other nations that would come against the nation of Israel or to come against the Jews or to really come against the, the, the truth found in Jesus Christ. So really anything or anybody that is in opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ or stands in opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ would be considered powers and authorities, powers and authorities. So, so let's read that again in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 10 one more time. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority, meaning every single power, every single authority submits to him. Every single one of them. The Bible says, in fact, in this way, that all of us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he is the head of everything and everybody. Okay, everybody say amen to that. 
He is. Verse 11, and in him, this person, this, this man, this God, <laughs> because Jesus is God, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now let's stop right there. Obviously all of us know what circumcision is uh, physically. We all know that. And why does the New Testament bring up circumcision so often? Well, it's because circumcision was the mark, it was the mark of God's covenant with the Jews or God's covenant with his chosen people. Everybody see that? So it was the mark of being in covenant with God. So here we have, he says, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Like what he's saying is this, you've been marked, but it's not physically. You've been marked, you've been marked, but it's not, it's not necessarily an outside change as much as this inward change that happens in you that will produce outside changes. He says, you have been marked. So think of it like that. In Christ, you have been marked. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. You were circumcised by Christ. You were marked by Christ. In Christ, you have been marked or set apart. You belong to the family of God now. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism and you in which you were also raised with him out through your faith. We're going to come back to that. That was through your faith. All of that happened being marked by the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. That happened by faith and faith alone. It didn't happen by your works. It didn't happen because your good outweighs your bad. And hey, I get to go to heaven as long as my good outweighs my bad, right? No, 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 no. It, it was marked. You were marked by faith that you had in Jesus Christ, not of your own works. In fact, he goes on to say, you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, not in your working, but in the working of God who was raised from the dead. Everybody write this down. Number one, Christ followers have been marked. It's just what I've been saying. Christ followers have been marked. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have submitted to his authority. You believe in his perfect life. You believe in his death on the cross. You believe in his resurrection. You have confessed him as Lord. You have surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. The new song, you have been marked. You've been marked. Your flesh, your old sin nature, it has been put off. That dare I say, you've been circumcised by God spiritually. Spiritually. We don't like to talk about that, but that's what this verse is saying. You have been marked. In fact, let's read 2 Timothy, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He, here's some markings, everybody. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. So there's just a few markings right there, everybody. If you are a follower of Christ, then you are anointed. Everybody say, I'm anointed. I'm anointed. I know, some of you don't feel anointed, do you? Right? 
Some of you walk around and you're like, I don't feel anointed. I don't feel special. I just kind of do what I normally do. And I don't understand this anointing. But the Bible very clearly says if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are anointed. You're anointed. Let me say it like this. That anointing is not something that you earn. It is a gift from God that he would pour his spirit out on you and in you to do something for his glory, for the glory of his name. You have been anointed. You have been set apart. That's why we talk about purpose so often here at New Song, that you have a purpose, that God designed you on purpose for a purpose, and he has already anointed you. Now, are there greater anointings? Does the Holy Spirit come even more on you at certain times? I would argue yes, because there are times in which the Holy Spirit, through his power and also through the grace of God, gives you special gifts in a moment. Let me say it like this. I've operated in the spiritual gift of faith, but do I always operate in that gift? I don't feel like I do. I'm just being honest with you. Like sometimes the gift of faith just comes over me. Like I know in that moment that I can declare something or speak something or pray something and that God is going to honor that declaration or that prayer. Do I always feel like that? I wish, <laughs> how many know what I'm talking about? I wish I felt like that all the time, but not always. There are some times in which the spirit of wisdom comes upon me, and I have supernatural wisdom. It is a grace gift of God, and it's, a, it's an extra special outpouring of the spirit in that moment. Do I always operate in wisdom? Well, if you ask my wife, she'll say no. He doesn't. He doesn't always operate in wisdom. How many know what I'm talking about now? See, I, I think, there, I think the, the Holy Spirit comes upon you that you are continually anointed, but there are also times where the Holy Spirit will give you just an extra gift in the moment. The Bible says, in fact, there, there, he said, hey, you're going to go out and you're going to minister and you're going to preach the gospel, and if you ever stand in front of somebody that you don't know what to say, don't worry about it. Because the Holy Spirit will actually give you the words to say. He will speak through you. But if they're wondering, like, what do I say? What do I say? That means right now I don't know what to say. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, then I will. Everybody see that? That there are these special moments. There's these special moments that the Holy Spirit just comes in. And you don't know what to do. Maybe even one second before the Holy Spirit comes, you're thinking, what do I do? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up. Oh, this is what I do. This is what I pray. This is what I speak. This is where I go. This is how I minister. This is how I serve. This is how I love. This is how I show mercy. He just does that. It's amazing, everybody, because God, God knows you. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. Everybody, he's anointed you, not only for the course of your life, but day by day, moment by moment, his spirit dwells in you and on you. And he'll give you what you need in the moment that you need it. That's all I, I got to say about that. So he anoints us. He sets a seal of ownership on us. We've been marked, and he puts a spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Number two, write this down. Other markings, I put that in my notes. I put that in quotes. Other markings are found in Colossians. So 
2 Corinthians 1 is not the only place where we find these markings, but we also find it in Colossians chapter 2. And remember, we, we studied this last week, but we're going to go through it again. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that, that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is. Letter A, write this down. These are the other markings found in Colossians chapter 2. So these are things that every follower of Christ should be displaying in your life. Number, I'm sorry, letter A, encouraged in heart, united in love. Write that down. Encouraged in heart, united in love. Remember, Paul said, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Like that should be a marking in your life. It should be a marking in your life. You should be marked by unity and love. You should have markings upon your life in unity and love. Let, let me say it like this, uh, new song. As a follower of Christ... Unity should be at, at really at the center of who you are as a follower of Christ. It should be, obviously, love primarily. Love is definitely at the center. But right on the outskirts of love should be unity. It should be peace. The Bible says as long as it depends on you or as far as it depends on you, live at peace with who? Everyone. Yeah, but, Pastor, you don't know what they've done. You don't know how irritated I am at them. Yeah, as long as it depends on you. I've said this a thousand times and I'll keep saying it. Their response is their responsibility. But your response, as long as it depends on you, is to live at peace with everyone. Can, can I just encourage you, everybody? And we all need to hear this. We all need to hear this. We have to be encouraged in heart and united in love. Being united in love and encouraged in heart. That, that means we cannot be critical of one another. We can't be critical of one another. Um, let me say it this way. There, there's, never, there, there's no such thing as the perfect church or the perfect church people because people are always imperfect, Right? So if, you, if, you, if there's ever a person that says, well, I just don't want to go to that church, so I started going to this church. Or, Pastor, I've come to New Song because I just couldn't stand that church. They were blah, 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 blah. Can, can I tell you something? You're, you're, gonna, you're not going to be happy in church if that's your attitude. <laughs> because every church is filled with imperfect people. Every church, you say, well, I don't want to go to that church. That, that church is full of hypocrites. Can I tell you? There are some days that I'm a hypocrite. Right? Like I'm supposed to live faithfully for the Lord every day. But every time I sin, isn't that still a little bit of hypocrisy in there? I mean, isn't it a little bit of just selfishness? Isn't it a little bit of, hey, I knew I shouldn't do that, but I did it anyway? How many know your pastor isn't perfect? Don't, don't raise your hands. You don't have to do that. <laughs> it hurts me when you laugh like that. It really hurts me. You know I'm not perfect. And, and here's the thing. I know you're not perfect. 
either. You're not perfect. And, and, but, but still, the fact remains, but I still love you. I still love you. I'm still serving you. I'm still caring for you. I'm not criticizing you. I'm encouraging you in heart. I, I, I don't come, I don't, I really, really try never to go to anybody and just say, rah, 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 rah. no, no, no. I, I go to them, encourage them in heart and say, hey, I know you're going through this. Why are you going through that? Hey, there's a better way. There's a better way. Why don't we live life like this instead? Don't, don't you think that this is the better life to live than what you're living? That's what I do. I encourage them in heart, but criticizing people, judging people, that's not my, that's not my role. And, and if I'm the, the, the uh, sheriff of this town, it, it, and, uh, and I don't feel it's right to, to judge or condemn or to criticize, and you shouldn't either. In fact, Jesus said it himself, John 3, 17, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. So if Jesus didn't come in to condemn everybody, who, who called you to that? Oh. Yeah, I just said that. I really did. I just said that. But let me say it this way. Nobody has called you to be critical except for the devil. He's called you. He'll call you to criticize, to condemn, to judge, to look down your nose at somebody else. He, he's, he'll call you to do that, but I promise you it won't be God. Well, God just told me to tell you, you better Really? Really? I don't think so. Because we are to be united in heart. I mean, sorry, united in love and encouraged in heart. How many think that there's about a thousand and one churches across America that need to hear that message to stop being critical and con condescending to one another? Letter B, you've got to grow an understanding about Jesus. It's a marking that we have as followers of Christ that we're growing in understanding about Jesus. And where you say, where do you get that? Well, it says in Colossians 2, verse 2, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Not that you've fully secured the entirety of the mystery, but you are growing in understanding about the Lord Jesus Christ. Like when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, did you know everything about Jesus? No, you just started an understanding about the Lord Jesus Christ. You were given revelation about who Christ is. The Holy Spirit revealed to you that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit revealed that to you, and you come to an understanding, I need to surrender my life to Jesus then. But now, start your journey of growth and maturity as the Holy Spirit continues to reveal more of the Son of God to you and the heart of God to you. Listen, everybody, one of the marks that you should have as a follower of Christ is that you're growing, is that you're learning, is that you're not the same person today that you were a year ago. You've changed by the grace and the power of God. And if you look back and you say, you know what, I'm just not growing I've had somebody say that to me. Um, in fact, everybody, this person said this for a number of years, and it used to drive me and my wife crazy. We kept encouraging this person, kept strengthening this person. And they're like, you know, I, I, and they always said it like, I used to be really close to God, I'm just not now. I used to be really, really close to God, and I'm just not now. And you know what was funny is they read their Bible every day. They prayed every day. They, they, they never missed a Sunday, you know, when it came to church. It, it wasn't like they were backslidden. 
It, it wasn't like they were purposely sinning. They weren't. In, in fact, they were kind of, um, in, in some areas, just stepping up to the plate and saying, no, this is who we are as followers of Christ. It's like they weren't necessarily relaxed about their relationship with God. And at the same point, if for a couple of years somebody comes and says, well, I used to be close to Jesus, I'm just not now. I used to really know him intimately. I used to hear his voice all the time. I just don't now. And, and finally, my wife and I, um, in fact, my wife, <laughs> she had it before I did because this lady told us that like one too many times. It is all the times before we were encouraging and strengthening and just trying to build her up and say, hey, he's not far off. The Bible says if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you and just keep going. And, and, and finally, she just said it. My wife had just had enough. And she looked at this lady in the face. She said, if you're not as close to Jesus as you used to be, it's your fault. Well, it's thunder. Like, oh, it's my fault? Yeah, it's your fault. And there's something that's lacking in your life that once you were investing in, but now you're not. And my, my wife, through the inspiration, the a prophetic gift of the Holy Spirit says, what are you not investing in in your life that you used to invest in? And the lady just started crying. She says, I know what it is. Well, my wife, we, we left that day, and it, it ended up being very encouraging. How many know sometimes love, sometimes love drives you just to speak to the point, just to, but you still do that in love. You know what I'm saying, right? We weren't being critical. We were, we were just speaking the heart of God to her in the moment. And, and thankfully, by the grace of God, she listened, and we were so encouraged by that. And there was a change that happened there. And my wife looked at me afterwards and she said, I only wish that we would have said that to her sooner because we could have trimmed a year off of that. You know what I mean? Like we could have, she could have been free a little bit sooner than she was. But you know, at the same point, the Holy Spirit creates those opportunities and you just, you just take them as they come. The Bible says make the most out of every opportunity that's presented to you. And that was the, the one time that we just felt, this is our moment. This is, this is the moment. L listen, new song, can I tell you? Just listen. Just listen to my heart this morning. I just want to know Jesus more. I just want to know him more than I did yesterday. I, I want to love Jesus more today than I did yesterday. I want to love Jesus more tomorrow than I do today. I, I, I just want to grow in my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and can I tell you, if, if you have that desire, that, that desire alone is a mark upon your life. It's a mark upon your life. But there's also discipline involved with that. You've got to spend time with them. You've got to love on them. You've got to think about them all the time. You've got to listen to them. You've got to read His Word, study His Word, apply His Word, grow in your understanding of Jesus. Let her see, write this down. A mark of Christians is, see, believing the truth and conforming to it. Believing the truth and conforming to it. Verse 4 says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Like, new song, you've got to know the truth. And when you know the truth and somebody all of a sudden is 
talking about this fine-sounding argument. It may sound great, but on the inside, you know it's false. You'll know it's not the truth. You'll know it's not the truth. Uh, just recently, uh, we had somebody come up, and they gave this, they were reading something, and they gave this fine-sounding argument that sort of made sense. And, and really, to anybody who didn't know Christ or doesn't know Christ or or maybe people who are still growing in their relationship with Christ, it, it really made sense. And yet, my wife and I, when we heard it, it was immediately, no, that's not true. Why? Because we know the truth. We know the truth. And if you know the truth, you'll, all, you'll also know what stands in opposition to the truth. When something comes and that's false, that's just a lie, it's a fine-sounding argument and you think it makes sense. But when you hear those things, you'll know, no, I know the truth. I know what the Word of God says. And you'll be able to reject a lie. There, there are some people that I've known and I still love so deeply, and, and they have embraced worldly doctrines, ungodly doctrines. They have embraced things that are just opposition to the Word of God because they heard somebody that they loved and respected teach something unbiblical, and it just made sense to them. Even though I could point them to the Word of God, and I did point them to the Word of God, and I would even say, hey, read that verse out loud to me. What does that verse say? And they would say something like, well, it says that such and such is a sin then why are you saying okay to something that God says no to? Oh, because so-and-so said that that verse actually doesn't mean what you say it means. And it really made sense when he told that to me. Well, and I just look at, well, he's a liar. He's a liar. He's not standing up for truth. So if I were to ask you, how many, how many, how many want to be friends with a liar? Well, everybody, no, I don't. Okay, know the truth, and then you'll know who's lying to you. It's just the truth. And by the way, don't only know the truth, but conform to it. Conform to it. If the Bible says that something is true, embrace it. Conform to it. And then it'll be true to you. It'll be true, let me say it this way, it'll be true in you. It won't just be true to somebody else. You'll discover that truth yourself. Because that truth will be in you. See, there's a truth that says, you know, we've already said it once, he who draws near to God, God will draw near to them. That's truth, everybody. That's truth. There are some people that, that uh, live in that truth. And there are other people that just know that truth. They, they know, oh, well, if I draw close to God, he's going to draw close to me. But do they? Sometimes they don't. See, they know the truth. How many know we've got to conform to the truth, though? We've got to do what it says. We've got to do what it says. Another mark, letter D, unmovable faith in Christ. He says at the end of verse 5, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Everybody, we need unmovable faith in Christ. We need a faith in Christ that cannot be shaken, an unshakable faith in Christ. Do you have that in your life? Is that a marking in your life, are you marked by unmovable faith in Christ? There, there was a time in my life where I was really struggling in my relationship with God. 
But the, the one thing that I held on to, that I never questioned, I never questioned, is this. But God, you are creator of the world, and your son is the Messiah. He is the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One thing I know, God, I, I don't know what's happening in my life. I don't understand all these emotions. I don't understand what I feel. But one thing about it, I had this unmovable faith, not in me, but I did have an unmovable faith. The one thing I know is that God is true, that he is real. He is the living, only true God. And he has a son named Jesus Christ. And they are one. And Jesus lived the perfect life, and he died on the cross, and he was raised from the dead. And he purchased salvation for those who would believe in him. I never questioned that. So to some extent, I had this faith that was rocky. But at the same point, I had this unmovable faith. That was just something I never questioned. It, it was almost as if I was saying, God, no matter what happens in my life, I still know that you're God. And I will not move from that. Do you have that type of faith? Have you been marked with an unmovable, unshakable faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, you need to pray for that. Oh God, mark me. Mark me. Give me an unmovable faith. Give me a firm faith in Christ. You know what? If you pray that, he will. He will. He honors those type of prayers. I promise you that. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. So we've all been marked. How many have been marked? You've been marked by God our Father. No, just a few of you have been. Come on, everybody. Mass, mass confession. Who've been marked? You're a follower of Christ, and you've been marked. Amen? Colossians 2, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, by the cross. Now, we could spend three weeks just on that portion of Scripture alone, and I'm going to take about five minutes here and describe this to you as best I can. What this is happening in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, we're talking about legalities. We're talking about legalities. And I'm going to explain this to you. Number three, write this down. My faith, because of my faith in Christ, it produces a legal change in my status. So, so the fact that you've been marked by Christ, that you have these things that are happening in your life, that, that you've been uh, uh, set apart, you've been anointed, he set his seal upon you, he put a spirit in you, you're encouraged in heart and you're united in love with others and you're growing in your understanding of Jesus and you're believing the truth and you're conforming to it and then you have this unmovable faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that happened, everybody. All of that happened because you underwent a legal exchange. You underwent a legal system. You entered into a legal system and came out free. Let me say it like this. You went into the legal system guilty, but you exited the legal system completely free. That's what this is saying. And he's saying, because you went into it guilty, and because God did the miraculous, and you exited that in freedom, in salvation, you've been made free by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
you underwent a legal change in your life. And he describes it. He says, God made you alive with Christ. That's the, that's the change in your status. You were dead, but now you're alive. How many were dead and now alive? Okay, isn't that good news? You underwent a change, everybody. God made you alive with Christ. That's the legal status that has been changed. And he, this is how it happened. He forgave us all of our sins. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a spectacle of them, trying triumphing over them by the cross. And how was all of that done? Through faith. It was all done through faith. Ephesians 2.8 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, when you had faith. And you can't take credit for this. Why? Because God was sitting on the judge's bench. And when you stood before him, you were guilty. But when you left the courtroom, you were free. And you had nothing to do with it. You can't take credit for it. You can only give the credit to God and his son Jesus and precious Holy Spirit. In fact, it goes on to say it is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. I, I made some notes here, and I want you to follow these very, very quickly. God made you alive in Christ. That means you're alive, obviously. He forgave us our sins. You've been forgiven. He canceled our illegal, our legal indebtedness. It's been canceled. Your sins have been canceled. He has taken it away. Maybe he, he took those things and he set them aside and he nailed them to the cross. Now you see those two lines to the right. I want you to write this note down. Just say secured legally. Those things were secured legally. Your sins being nailed to the cross. Those sins being set aside. Those sins being canceled. Those sins being forgiven. All of that was secured legally. It was secured legally. You say, how did that, how did that happen, Pastor Justin? Let me explain it to you. Everybody just pay close attention right here. This is so doctrinally true. So doctrinally life-changing. You have to know this. When God, created Adam, when God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says that, that God looked at Adam and Eve and said, this is all yours. Enjoy it. It's, it's like God handed them the keys to the earth. Says, this is where you live. I give it to you. Here's the keys. Just grow and connect and love each other and love this creation. In fact, just Take a few moments. Just give everything a name. I'd like to hear what you name things. Because, like, Adam, it's all yours. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you the keys to this land. You can just name it whatever you want to. And he did. But then they were tempted. The serpent came. The devil came. And the one thing that they couldn't do was eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and that's exactly what they did. They took of its fruit and they ate. They sinned against God. And you know what they did in that moment? They handed the keys of this world to the devil. They lost their lease on this world because they sinned. And ever since then, the Bible says that there are principalities and powers in the air that the devil laid claim to this world. And if you say, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, it's because we live in a fallen world. 
We live in a world controlled by the devil. So can I tell you, there's some bad things that are going to happen. But watch what it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. This is from John the Revelator. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. And then he placed his right hand and moved. Who did he see? He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. You would do the same thing, by the way, when you see the glory of the Son of God. You would do the same thing. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, Jesus, you are Lord. He said, I, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me. and He said, hey, John, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now, look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Like, I went there, and I took it back. I'm going to show you how powerful this is. Um, Isaac, come and join me up here. This is my son, Isaac, everybody. Say hi, Isaac. Now, Isaac had no idea he was going to do this. And Isaiah just found out he's going to be doing it in the second service. <laughs> this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He's a good boy. And we're just going to pretend for a second. I'm, I'm going to play the role of two people. I'm the center. I'm the sinner. And I'm God at the same point. I'll, I'll show you, not, not in reality, just in this little skit that we're going to do that he has no idea that we're going to do. And so what I've done is, as a sinner, I have sinned before God. And I happen to have a list of all of my sins. And I'm about to enter into the courtroom of God, and I'm bringing my sins with me. And so I have some sins here. And they're Hunter Orange, because that's who I am. And you think, well, that's, that's not very many sins. Well, actually... No, 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 there's tons there. How many know that I've sinned a lot? How, how many know you've sinned a lot too? And I'm bringing my sins into the courtroom of God. And God looks at me and says, the very thing that I know to be true, I am guilty. Because I know these sins. I know what I've done. I hate it that I've done them. I hate these things. I despise these things. How many are with me? I don't like these things. And I'm standing before the true judge, the one that deserves to sit at the bench. And I say, God, I'm guilty. And God knows something. Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden. God says, Man lost it because God is just. Man has to get it back. So God sent his son Jesus into the world to live a perfect life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So God's justice demands that somebody has to die. And I'm obviously the guilty one. God knows this to be true. It has to be a man. It has to be mankind because man lost it. Man has to get it back. Man lost it. Man has to pay. So God sent his son Jesus into the world. Fully man, fully God. 
and he lived a sinless life. And he was rejected by men. And God knew it all along that that would happen. And Jesus knew exactly what was happening. He said, God, I, I don't want to go through this. I know that I have to pay the sins, pay for the sins of men. The wages of sin is death. I know I have to die. I, I don't want to. But then he went to God. He said, but not my will. Yours be done. So Jesus, knowing fully what God wanted him to do, he went to the cross. And he was crucified. Hold your hands out like you're being crucified, son. And God took my sins, your sins, anybody that would follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and he placed them on his son, and he nailed those things to the cross. And Jesus paid for my sins. He paid for them. Like, all of them, they were nailed to Jesus Christ. So God the Father, now sitting at the, the judge's bench, looks at me, and he says, Justin, where are your sins? Well, God, they've been nailed to the cross. He says, exactly. Justin, you are not guilty. You can leave now. And when you leave, you're going to be leaving in freedom. Freedom from what held you down. Freedom from what held you in bondage. You are now free. Jesus said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever. Because the one thing we know about Jesus is after his crucifixion, he died. The Bible says, but when he came out of the grave three days later, <laughs> Jesus said, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. You could say it this way. There's no reason to be scared. For everyone who believes, everyone who's been marked by God, everyone who's surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, he says, you are free. You are free. You are forgiven. But the only way to let that happen, the only way to allow that to happen is that you hand your sins over to our Heavenly Father who's sitting at the judge's bench and you hand your sins over to him and say, here are my sins. Oh God, forgive me. Forgive me. And God says, I will. I'm going to nail him to the cross of my son so you can be free too. The Bible says that every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord, everybody who enters his courtroom and says, forgive me, God always says yes. 
He always says yes, and he's saying yes right now. His grace is great. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. You can't work for it. You just receive it by faith. And if you have a long list of sins and you want to bring them into the courtroom of God today and say, God, oh God, forgive me. Take my sins. Take my sins away. God always says yes. Nobody looking around. If that's you today, I want you to raise your hand really high. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out at all, actually. I'm just not going to do that. Okay? All right. Anybody else? Yeah, you can put your hands down. Oh, I'm so grateful. I just want to pray a prayer. There's a lot of this... A lot of us in this room, we've already been marked. We, we know we've been forgiven, and we should give thanks for that, and we will. And for those of you who are taking your sins to, to the Father and asking for forgiveness, we're going to do that right now. Heavenly Father, I enter into your presence today knowing my sins they're vast. They are many. And I'm making a simple request today, God. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be forgiven. I want to be free. I want to be marked by you. I want to be set apart. I want, I want to be sealed. I, I want your spirit inside of me guaranteeing as a deposit what is to come. I want all of you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for taking my sins and nailing them to the cross and proving that you have power over all of the demonic forces and principalities and authorities, you are powerful. And I know that today you have disarmed them and you have made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Jesus, for your cross. And I thank you for being raised to life and for getting back the keys I was in that cell. I was bound, but you set me free. And I want to say thank you. Now, for everybody in this room who's been set free, could we just do something? Could we just lift our hands to the Lord and just take a moment to bless them? Say, thank you, Father, for setting me free. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for putting a seal on me, for putting your spirit in me, for anointing me for the, to, to live for the glory of your name. Thank you, God. I didn't deserve it. Lord, I couldn't earn it. 
It was just by your grace and your mercy. And I want to say thanks. I don't want to leave here today without telling you how grateful I am, Father. You are so good. You've been so faithful. You've been so wonderful to me. You've treated me better than I deserve. You didn't treat me as my sins deserve, Lord. You set me free by your goodness and by your grace and by your power. And I want to say thank you, Father. I love you. 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 Now, mark me, Lord. Put your marks upon me. I want to be marked by you. I want that old, sinful, disgusting flesh to be cut off of me. And I want to live completely and wholly for the glory of your name. Lord, allow me to encourage others in heart and be united in love. And help me grow in my understanding of you. Lord, I want to believe the truth and conform to it at all times. And I want to have unmovable faith in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father God, mark me. Put your mark upon me, Father. I want to be who you want me to be. You've done so much for me, God. How could I not surrender to you fully and completely? And I thank you for doing it. And I love you for it. And you have my worship, and you have my gratitude. As a church, it's our honor to play a part in what God is doing in your life. And we would love to continue on that journey with you. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to www.new-song-church.com backslash next steps. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.